There is a report that the San Diego Padres will cut spending in 2024. Can the Mets use that to their advantage and grab another star player? We'll discuss it on today's edition. Locked on Mets. You are locked on Mets. Your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans who are listening to Locked On. Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. On today's show, we will discuss if the New York Mets should try to trade for one of the Padres' high-priced talents. First segment, Focus in on Juan Soto in the second segment. Sort of weigh the cost when it comes to prospects of trading for a guy like Soto to what it might cost if you were to get into the bidding for a guy like Manny Machado who's on a worse contract because it's very, very long term. We'll go through all of it. Uh, Then in the final segment, I will discuss the Binghamton Rumble Ponies game as they play the first of their championship series. Uh, on Monday. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Ficklestein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter at Ficklestein Ryan. You can also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor. Now, the New York Mets and the San Diego Padres are two teams that you know, create a lot of headlines last winter because they were the teams that were spending big, big money. And the Padres seem to be spending stupid money. The reason why I say that is because They did some things they didn't have to do. They took Manny Machado. They gave him a new deal. They went out and they got Xander Bogarts, even though they had a good shortstop and Sung Kim, and they had Fernando Tatis Jr. coming off suspension, and they had Manny Machado. They still thought, you know what, let's get Bogarts. Let's give him an 11-year deal. Let's just keep going all in, all in, all in. When they still hadn't figured out if uh, they could pay Juan Soto, how much that would cost and what that would look like, or if they just – traded the farm for a two-and-a-half-year rental. Well, now the Padres are about to miss the playoffs, and it appears like this whole all-in mindset that they've been under for the last couple years, it might be coming to an end. According to Kevin Acey of the San Diego Union-Tribune, the Padres are going to be cutting spending. This is a different strategy that they're going to take under. Who knows? If Bob Melvin's going to be the manager, who knows if AJ Preller is going to be allowed to continue to hold that position that he's probably held too long, considering some of the shortcomings that he's shown as a general manager. And this is looking at, at a, a roster that is pretty set in stone, yet now all of a sudden they're going to cut payroll. This year, they were looking at a payroll around $250 million. Now, basically, according to this report, they have to cut payroll to around $200 million, and it's in part because of them being out of compliance with MLB regulations regarding their debt service ratio. Essentially, they've taken on more debt than they can. And getting to $200 million, that's not a random number. That's getting out of the luxury tax business. So you look at the San Diego Padres and what they've been in the last couple of seasons and what they were this year. It's looking like a worse failure than the New York Mets, if I'm being honest with you. Because the Mets, 
for one, they had a guy that could back up the the checks that he was you know, cashing, right? Steve Cohen is not anywhere near debt. He has enough money to pay all that debt, and that's what he's basically been doing, paying all the debt that the Wilpons uh, you know, racked up on this franchise as far as the hole that they put them in or put this franchise in under their uh, tenure with the club. Steve Cohen focused on short-term big money deals. The only long-term big money deal that has been on the books since his ownership has been Francisco Lindor. And then they added Brandon Nimmo and Nimmo's contract right now still seems fairly reasonable. Then you have Edwin Diaz, but that's a five-year deal. So the Mets long-term books are clear and everyone's been wondering when are they going to get another big contract on there? Is it going to be Pete Alonso? A lot of speculation there lately, or are they waiting for a free agent? Could it be Shohei Otani this off season or the night, the name that's been whispered for a long time now is Juan Soto. Could Juan Soto be the answer? He's going to be a free agent after next season. Well, now here's a team that's looking to cut payroll. And you say, well, Juan Soto hasn't got his big deal yet. He's still making a ton of money in arbitration. He made $23 million this year. He's probably going to make over $30 million in arbitration. Mookie Betts off the top of my head, I think in his final year of arbitration, when the Red Sox traded him, I think he was slated to make like $31 million. Juan Soto, every chance to be right there. Now, if you're looking at the Padres payroll already next year, they're sitting at over $170 million if all their options convey and nothing else. That's not counting the arbitration players. So if you're already at 170, even if you knock that down a bit for some of the options that might not convey, but then you factor in the other arbitration players, not to mention having to build out a roster. Blake Snell's a free agent. Josh Hader's a free agent. You imagine they're going to want to replace those guys to try to contend. Are they going to want to commit $30 million of payroll into Juan Soto if he's going to walk out the door after the season? And if they're in the business of cutting payroll and they already have Machado, Bogarts, and Tatis under contract for a decade still, can they really afford to sign Juan Soto when he's going to hit free agency at 26 years old and might be looking to get a $13 million deal like Bryce Harper got? This is an opportunity for the New York Mets to trade for Juan Soto. The question is, is it worth to trade for him? Or do you wait? Do you play the long game? And that's what we're going to be going through on the show today because I can make an argument for either you know direction the Mets could take here. Now, let's actually also say, should they be in on Juan Soto as a player? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, but hey, let's go through the numbers because he has been you know, considered to be in a little bit of a downswing in San Diego. The Padres haven't been great. He hasn't really maybe hit some of those peak numbers with Washington. That's what I think the perception is. Then you actually look. This year, Juan Soto's hitting 273. He's got a 408 on base, a 514 slug. Now, his career on base percentage is 421. So it's been under his career numbers. His entire slash line this year has been slightly below his career norm, about 10 points off in each of those departments. Still, a guy getting on base over 40% of the time who's hit 33 home runs, driven in 105. I talk about weighted runs created plus. Okay, it measures hitters based on a league average of 100. It sets that league average, and then you weigh the player based on that average. For Soto, he's at 154, 54% better than your league average hitter. For his career, 
He has consistently been at a 153 WRC plus 50% better than your league average hitter. He is one of the best hitters in all of baseball. There's no doubt about it. And this year, it's a 5.3 F4. So he's been a five-win player in what some would even call a slight down season for the incredibly high standards that he has already met at points in his career. And he turns 25 in October. That would be the best bat in the Mets lineup, no doubt about it. He'd be the better hitter than Alonzo, Lindor, all of them. And you could make the trade now, get Juan Soto, pair him with Alonzo for a year. And if you're concerned about Juan Soto in the outfield long term, because I certainly am, he could be your first baseman, which is exactly what we've talked about as the one player that I look at and say, here's why you don't sign Alonzo. It's the only reason I wouldn't do it is because you're that confident you're going to have Juan Soto coming in. And you also might think that Soto's going to need to move over to first base. I mean, Bryce Harper's moved over to first base because of Tommy John, but it, it seems like he might stay there. And Juan Soto is not nearly the athlete that Bryce Harper is in the outfield. So that's just food for thought. But it, it's a really interesting debate about do you mortgage the farm to get Soto now where you could just sign him in free agency if Soto is you know definitely moved if they open up the sweepstakes say we're going to trade Juan Soto this offseason one year left we're going to try to get back some of the prospect capital we gave up it was a failed experiment we're going to try to restart this thing and that's going to be the money that's going to clear off our books to make it all happen well what do you have to give up is it worth it and that's what I want to get to next. I also want to talk about Manny Machado because you could really do the Padres a favor and get that contract off their books and maybe not give up as much in return when it comes to prospects. We'll get to that before we do. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Sales. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach is wasting the time of both the buyer and seller at every stage, especially when sellers are using shallow and outdated data. Your organization can overcome these challenges with technology that translates comprehensive high-quality buyer data into real-time insights. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to better outcomes like more pipeline, higher win rates, and larger deals. This is called Deep Sales, and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, you can try the LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at LinkedIn.com slash locked on. That's LinkedIn.com slash locked on for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash locked on and get started. The New York Mets by the Miami Marlins at 710 Eastern time on Tuesday night. Get your pitch the Mets hometown broadcast with Sirius XM on the SXM app. Just search Mets. The San Diego Padres are in a position where if they have to cut a salary. Juan Soto makes the most sense because he's the guy that's not locked up for a decade. The other three guys are Machado, Bogarts, and Tatis. Tatis, I don't think you'd want to move him anyway. He's the best player of the bunch. Bogarts, I don't know if you can move him because he's a little bit older than Machado. And then Machado was supposed to be your guy. You just gave him that extension when you didn't even need to. He was pushing up against an opt-out. 
Obviously, he could have exercised it, but now considering what he did this year, he might not have. Who knows? Maybe he got comfortable and he got the new 11-year, $350 million deal. If the Padres could get that off their books, they still have Bogarts, who they could slide over to third base. They still have Haysung Kim, who's a really good shortstop. They could keep him there full-time. They have Tatis, who they could always bring back into the infield, but he's actually probably going to win a gold glove in right field this year if the voters allow it, which they should because he has been far and away the best outfielder in baseball when you look at the metrics. I digress on that. The point is, there is a world where they might even shot Machado. Now, why would the Mets want him when he's coming off a down year where he hit 253, 317 on base, 463 slug, 114 weighted runs created plus, 14% better than a league average hitter, not a guy you want to be paying $35 million a season to at the back end of this contract. That's the other thing. It's a backloaded deal. The last seven years of the contract, he's making 35 a season. $245 million for age 34 through age 40. Rough, rough contract. Why would you do it? Well, you do it if you're still trying to win in this short window and you think that a left side of the infield of Manny Machado and Francisco Lindor over the next three to five seasons is significantly better than anything your farm system is going to produce. That's why you would do it. And because he's still in a down season, hit the 30 bombs and play good defense at third base. And when you look at Machado to Soto, Soto far and away the better hitter, but Machado is definitely the better defensive player. Now Soto is younger, but it's also a situation where even with one year of a deal compared to 10 years remaining for Machado's contract, that, contract hurts his value for Soto his lack of a contract it could hurt his value in some respects but it also makes him a very attractive player for a 2024 roster that any team in baseball could really conceivably talk themselves into saying all right one year we're bringing Juan Soto in because we had the prospects to do it and we're going to try to win a world series because we're going to have him for a full season and, you know, obviously you can still say, hey, maybe beyond that, Juan Soto could do some things for you. You know, the, the Yankees, if they wanted to, they could get in on the Juan Soto bit, bidding here. Pair Juan Soto and Aaron Judge. Now they have the problem of standstill on the, on the books there. But they could have Juan Soto for a season and watch him put up monster numbers and still try to sign him. They're a team to watch. Um, and who knows? The, the, the Dodgers always seem to get on the mix for guys like this. Would the Padres trade with the Dodgers? Probably not, but if they're in such a bad situation financially, who knows? Who knows what could happen? Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of other teams. The Cardinals. Would the Cardinals get in the mix for a season? I don't know. They've had such a bad year. Who knows if they view themselves as contenders next year, but that's a franchise that typically tries to win. Um, I, I don't know who the, the teams are, but – you know, any team that looks at themselves as a contender next year could talk themselves into it. And the package to get Juan Soto, I believe it's going to cost you something you don't want to trade as far as Luis and Helicuna, you know, Drew Gilbert, Jet Williams. I would think that Jet Williams is pretty much uh, you know, no trade player at this point. He's untouchable. I would think Drew Gilbert might be in that boat and Acuna potentially as well, but you have to give to get, and this is a scenario where you might want to give to get a player like Juan Soto. The other argument again, though, is you just wait, let another team trade for him. Let the Padres have to keep him on their books. 
And then when he's a free agent, then you empty the clip to get him just financially. You don't have to empty that farm system clip. The Machado trade would be interesting because you might not have to give up that same prospect capital. You know, could you trade the guys that you're struggling to find a, a home for right now? Like, could you structure something around Ronnie Mauricio and Mark Vientos to get a player as good as Manny Machado? Cause they're simply dying to get him off the books. That's where it becomes interesting to me on the Machado front, even though I don't believe that's actually on the table. I think what would be on the table is trading a lot to get Juan Soto. And then again, you just have to weigh out where you're at as a franchise and if that's worth it. Because you are trading for Juan Soto for a season where you weren't really supposed to be as all-in to go for it in 2024. And then you still have to pay him. Now, you could just simply take whatever money you'd have to give to Juan Soto. Let's just say, I'm trying to remember, so what, Harper got you know, in the 330s. And there's a report, of course, that you know, Soto turned down $450 million. Um, let's just say that, okay, that's still the contract that gets it done. $450 million. Could you take that $450, tack on $100 million to it, and get Shohei Otani? And you say, well, Soto plays the outfield. Not well. I mean, you could have Shohei Otani be your DH next season without giving up any prospects to get him. Now, he has to come, want to come out east and not stay on the West Coast, which is still to be determined. But I don't know if this is necessarily the moment where you get in on this. And if I was the GM, I just I, I wish that Machado didn't have an 11-year deal. If it was like an eight-year deal, I would say, all right, try to get that contract off their books and get somebody for cheap. But I really think ultimately, even though the idea and the thought exercise of adding a, a Soto or a Machado to the 2024 New York Mets is exciting. I just don't know if they're just that one player away from winning a World Series. And I think they're still in a position where you got to find out what you have with these prospects to see how you have the sustainable winner. And trading for a Juan Soto now would go against everything the Mets have done over the past three years, really, the way they've been handling their prospects. It would have made more sense to do it a couple of years ago at the deadline where you would have you know, brought Juan Soto into that run last season in 2022. That would have made more sense. So it depends on the cost of acquisition um, and how much the Mets are dead set on having Juan Soto be a Met. Because I guess that would be the argument is, hey, you did it with Lindor, do it again. Trade for him, extend him, and then, all right, your team is Francisco Lindor and Juan Soto for the next decade plus. And of course, you have Nimmo and you have a farm system. Still, I'm sure the Mets would be able to keep a good amount of their prospects still because they're so deep right now in the farm. And they'd be ready to go for it. And, you know, you might still have Pete Alonso for the 2024 season. You probably would. And you would, you know, put the two of them in the middle of your lineup in the three and four spot. That's a pretty exciting team. But again, with where this franchise is supposed to be going, I just don't think that David Stern's first move coming in is gutting the farm system that he has in any capacity for a guy that's not a great defender who's only under contract for one more season. 
You don't know how that's going to age. If you do give him the boatload of cash for the 14 seasons he might require. Instead, you look at the future and Binghamton with their own ponies are playing the double A championship series. He said, maybe you just wait and see, or if you are going to trade those prospects, maybe you do it for a pitcher, but that is a conversation for another day. I want to discuss the Binghamton rumble ponies first game of their championship series. We'll get to that in just a minute. Before we do, today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Modern medical care and treatment are important, but our global supply chains are fragile. Things like pandemics, natural disasters, and foreign travel may cut you off from the treatment you need. Jace Medical is your solution. Just fill out their online form and one of their board-certified physicians will review it to determine whether medications are safe and appropriate. Then, they send out your prescription to one of their partner pharmacies where your Jace order will be filled and mailed directly to your home. And not only this, you can send your physician a message for answers to treatment-related questions anytime. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. That's why Jace Medical now offers the Jace case, where you can save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical, plus an additional $20 off by using the code Locked On at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's Jace, J-A-S-E, medical.com. The New York Mets play the Miami Marlins at 710 Eastern time on Tuesday night. Get your pitch to the Mets hometown broadcast with Sirius XM on the SXM app. Just search Mets. Tonight, I was watching the Binghamton Rumble Ponies play the Airy Seawolves in their first game of a championship series. And I was sending texts throughout the game exclusively to the subscribers at subtext. You can click on the link in the description of the show today if you want to join. Basically, it is a platform where you'll get text messages from me directly to your phone. You can send text back and I can answer whatever questions you might have. So during the game tonight, we were going back and forth about the Mets, or not the Mets, excuse me, the Rumble Ponies in their playoff game. And for those who do subscribe today at 2 o'clock Eastern time, I am planning to send a subtext with my proposed trade package for Juan Soto. That's only going to be available exclusively on subtext and it's a two-week free trial if you want to start and see what it's like so just wanted to mention that before we get to the end of the show and now let's discuss what those subtexters uh got throughout the game my observations of the rumble ponies and their playoff game they're trying to win a double a championship first inning they scored two runs Luis and helicuna got an infield hit uh, jet williams drew a walk and kevin parada got an rbi single JT Schwartz had a ground net that scored another runner. And just like that, the Mets were up 2-0. Excuse me, the Rumble Ponies were up 2-0. And that shows you the speed of Acuna and Williams, that they're able to just get on base and make some stuff happen with those wheels. In the second inning, the Rumble Ponies got another run as Rowdy Jordan and Ryland Thomas each doubled. So that gave Blade Tidwell a really nice and cozy 3-0 lead. And he was very impressive early on in this game. He worked around a leadoff double in the first, stranded him with a pair of strikeouts, gave up a leadoff single in the second, again, stranded the runner. The third inning was what really wowed me. So he gets two quick outs. He's comfortable. He gets ahead, walks a batter. Gets ahead again, walks another one. That's something that's still concerning about Blade Tidwell. He's got to work on the walks. 
So he loses those guys and felt like he was really trying to establish the secondaries, really trying to to go to the, that slider to to get strikes and to to get you know, outs. And I didn't feel like he was leaning enough into his plus plus fastball. Well, he falls to behind two and zero to a hitter. He's got two runners on. This is a situation with a three run lead where Tidwell could have grooved a pitch, given up a home run, the lead's gone. So he has to really, in that situation, buckle down and execute his pitches. And he just reared back and threw three straight fastballs by the cleanup hitter. The last one just tied him up, up and in, and gets a huge strikeout to escape the jam. Now, unfortunately, he didn't have that same success moving forward. He gave up a run in the fourth, although there was an error that, that started that one. Jeremiah Jackson was playing third base, going to his left. It wasn't really a tough play anyway, but he made an error, couldn't feel the ball cleanly, and then Tidwell gives up an RBI double. So there was the first run allowed. He did escape further damage in that inning, which was impressive. But the fifth inning, the wheels kind of fell off. He gave up a leadoff triple, then a sacrifice fly. You know, he ends up getting another out, so he had two outs, hits a guy in the foot, so that really you know, killed him. Um, and then the next guy, of course, just crushes a home run. All of a sudden, he's given up four runs, and he's blown the lead. He did strike out seven, though. Gave up five hits, two walks, I believe, and got through those five innings with four runs allowed, three of them earned. Sixth inning, Benito Garcia came on relief, gives up two more runs. So all of a sudden, Binghamton is now trailing six to three. Then best moment of the game came with Drew Gilbert in the bottom of the six with two runners on. He crushes a home run to tie the game. You could feel the electricity in that ballpark. It just seemed like, all right, Binghamton's going to rally back now and win the game. Juwander Suarez came on to pitch. Remember, he's the guy that had the no-hitter in Binghamton. Fortunately, he gave up a run, though, and then Wilkin Ramos gave up two in the ninth, and the Roman opponents could not score again. So they ended up losing 9-6, to six, showed a lot of fight, and all the top prospects really showed out, um, aside from Tidwell again because he struggled at the end of it. But there were still flashes you like. You look at Kevin Parada, first playoff game, he went three for five and got hits in his first three at-bats. Although he did you know, actually strike out in kind of a critical spot um, in the ninth inning after uh, Drew Gilbert got on with a blue pit. Uh, it, he popped out, or should have popped out, in foul territory. The third baseman didn't get it. Then he popped one just over his head that somehow found outfield grass. Don't know how. But didn't matter because Parada got out, Schwartz got out. Um, the the Rumble Hornets could not rally in the ninth. But anyway, getting back to the top prospects, uh, Jet Williams drew four walks and five at-bats, scored two runs. That's pretty impressive to show that type of discipline in a playoff game. Luis Angel Acuna got two infield hits, which just shows me that this guy's going to be able to get on base because his speed is legit. He's not just a great base dealer. He's got really good speed to first base, home to first. So if he you know hits some soft ground balls to the left side, he's going to find his way on, and then he's going to be able to cause some havoc once there. Gilbert already mentioned two hits, one of them being that big home run. And that was really kind of the synopsis of all the top guys. Unfortunately, they're now a game away from elimination. So Christian Scott takes the ball in game two. And they used a lot of arms tonight, I guess, maybe to keep people fresh. They used everyone for an inning. We'll see how that ends up playing out as they uh, you know, have to win this game two to set up a game three where Dominic Hamill would take the ball. 
but the Rumble Ponies certainly showed the fight. They have the top prospects that can win any game, and it'll be interesting to watch them on Tuesday night uh, as they don't have an off day. They go now from Binghamton to Erie, and uh, you know we'll see if they can force a game three on Wednesday. Anyway, that's going to be all for today's edition. Locked on Mets, as always. Thank you for listening. Make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Follow me on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. Check out our subtext in the episode description. And if you want to listen to every pitch of the Mets Hometown Broadcast this week, you could do so with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search Mets.